After the Virus, Season 1, Episode 3. Thanks for joining me again. The seed for this story was planted seven years ago, after I hiked to a large cave once occupied by the Maidu people of Northern California. I tried to imagine what it would be like to just drop out, leave all of the modern conveniences and pressures behind, and live off of what nature could provide if one knew how to do so. Like Will, I had been a hunter and fisherman all my life, was adept at harvesting, dressing, and butchering animals, and had studied, but not practiced, survival skills. I had the good fortune at that time to be working on 4,500 acres of foothill wilderness as the education coordinator at a California State University ecological reserve, where I was mentored in native plant identification by a retired professor and naturalist. I also became acquainted with a trained survivalist who taught me to make fire with a bow drill and identify which native plants were edible or had other useful properties. In this episode, the threat of violence is temporarily passed and Will is able to slow down, practice his skills, and synchronize with the rhythm of nature. He'll need to hone those skills for what's coming in the months ahead. April 21st. Slept hard from dusk until dawn. As I prepared some breakfast food, I couldn't stop thinking about the burned man at the cabin and wondering where he was. But for now, stocking up on wild food is a priority to assure that I don't deplete my stores right away. Too much human activity in the area to risk a rifle shot, so I spent an hour tying and putting out snares. I'd watched a pair of gray squirrels chasing each other up and down a gray pine near the cave, so I affixed about 10 small noose snares to the trees using heavy monofilament line. With my snares set, I took the bow and five hunting arrows and began still hunting through the trees and brush. I would alternate the number and syncopation of my steps to produce a more natural sound than the steady, determined footfall of a predator. By hunting into the breeze in this way, I was able to get within 20 feet of a Silviligus bachmani, or brush rabbit, which I completely missed. Humbled, I continued hunting for two hours, but found no other game. Returning to my snares, I was delighted to find two good-sized gray squirrels dangling by their necks from the tree. I skinned both and started a small fire, spitted them, and had one for late breakfast, salted the other, and wrapped it in a bandana to have later for an afternoon snack. Feeling nourished, my curiosity overcame me, and I decided to hike to the cabins again. I passed close by the body of the man who was shot, and was surprised to find that the body had been covered with limbs and sticks. Assuming that this had been done by the burned man, I became uber-vigilant. Tracking his footprints, I could see that he had come upon my tracks from the previous day, and he had followed them for a ways before peeling off and heading upstream. I continued following them for a mile or so until it became apparent that he was leaving the area, presumably to get farther away from people by moving farther up the canyon. Returning back to the cabin flat, I was tempted to search the cabins for any needed supplies, but I rashly decided instead to be rid of them, to burn them to the ground. 
Their presence would only bring other dwellers and increase my risk of becoming infected. With them gone, no one else would be tempted to stay here, in my space. Even though I knew that the smoke from the fires might attract unwanted attention, burning structures had become an everyday occurrence, and this far from the city, it was doubtful that they would be noticed. The shady canyon bottom was dark and moist this time of year, and the fire was unlikely to spread. Within 30 minutes, all three cabins were fully engulfed in flame. Moving back up the slope to a hidden vantage point, I watched each structure burn down to a pile of coals as I ate my second squirrel. The elimination of the contaminated dwellings was cathartic for me. I spent the rest of the afternoon gathering foodstuffs. I found a patch of large, slightly past their prime, chanterelle mushrooms and picked a bag full of miner's lettuce and some unripe manzanita berries. I added all of these to a tin of smoked clams and fell asleep by 7.30. April 22nd. Spent the day better organizing the cave. The location is ideal in many ways. It's impossible to see until you're nearly inside. The poison oak grows in great clumps near the entrance and discourages human exploration. And the overhang above makes it impossible to detect from that angle. A small spring services from the base of the rock face about 30 feet away from me and forms a tiny, year-round, damp gully that eventually makes its way all the way to the cabin flat. After digging out the spring a little, I weighed down the end of my black plastic hose, then hid the hose in a shallow trench all the way into the cave and my 100-gallon water tank. I keep the end of the hose doubled over and clamped until I need more water, then unclamp it and suck on the hose until I've created a siphon, then fill the tank again. One tankful should last me a couple of weeks for drinking water and other light duty. To further disguise the opening, I've hung some camouflage netting across the entrance. I've pretty much leveled the floor and the sleeping platform. I use the largest space for cooking and chores. The smaller side room holds most of my supplies, and I've etched little ledges into the sandy wall to use as shelves for small items. On the floor of the sleeping platform, I've flattened a three-inch mat of pine needles, on top of which I have a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag. The other three sleeping bags having been left at the cache. There's room on the platform for all of my clothing, rifle, pistol, bow, arrows, and ammo. I have another pistol hidden in the hollow of a tree nearby. I've created a round depression at the end of the opening and built a compact rock ring around it to contain my cook fire. I used the driest wood possible for a relatively smokeless burn. At night, I've taken to hanging a blanket between the fire and the opening to reduce the chance that someone might see the glow from a distance. After working on the cave all morning, I decide I need to harvest some food. I'm intent on avoiding the cabin flat for a while, so instead, hike with my bow across and up canyon through groves of black oaks and ponderosa pines. Here, I find small young pines, and I remove pieces of bark to get to the cambium layer, which I strip with my knife and chew on the slightly turpentine-tasting flesh. I put a bunch in my pocket for later snacking. I come upon a large mat of pine needles under a grouping of pines, and kicking at a lump in the needles, discover a morel mushroom emerging from underneath. Further searching produces a couple dozen of these otherworldly-looking fungi, and I fill my pack. 
Continuing on, I see a doe in the distance. But before I can get close enough, she has caught my scent and bounded away noisily, alerting every other creature in the area of my presence. After cooking my morels in a little squirrel fat, I stay up until well into the evening. Lying on my back, I finally allow myself to mourn my kids and my wife, my friends and relatives, the kid I hit with the truck, the bodies at the cabins, the billions of people who have succumbed to the virus. I wonder why. Why me? I live now only to survive, like Ishii hiding in a cave. What will come next? Will I be the last human alive on Earth? As I stare at the stars, I count numerous man-made satellites orbiting above me. What will they report? Who will they report it to? April 23rd. This morning, as I was boiling water to make pine needle tea, I heard the distant drone of an airplane. Dousing my fire, I crept into the thick brush to try to get a clear view of the sky, confident that in my camouflage clothing I could not be seen. The small, official-looking, single-prop plane swerved and circled, clearly searching for humans. To help or to kill? I wasn't taking any chances. The plane lingered over the charred remains of the cabin, hopefully believing that no one remained alive in the area. I spent the rest of the day hunting and gathering. I made a great shot with my bow and killed a cottontail. I butchered it and stewed it with brodea corms, leftover mushrooms, and salsify roots. Exquisite. April 24th. Lonely today. Something in the weather reminded me of a family vacation. I lay around and brooded most of the day. Hear another plane in the distance? Not into writing today. April 25th. The more plants and game I add to my diet, the less I rely on my supply of canned and dried foods. Today, I hiked to the creek and harvested a huge bundle of cattails, which I strapped to my back and carried to the cave. I cut off the bottom six inches and set the bases out to dry. I will mince, then pulverize them into a fine flour, which I can use in primitive baking. In the afternoon, I hunted. Passing a large basalt boulder, I sensed something nearby and looked around to see a huge Pacific rattlesnake sunning itself about three feet away. I quietly walked on another 20 feet to a half-dead manzanita bush and broke off a three-inch, three-foot-long dead limb and snapped off all the small twigs and branches. Returning to the boulder, I came in from behind and slowly got into position on one side. Raising the limb above my head, I crashed it down on the resting snake's skull. All at once, a number of things happened. The snake turned to dive for a hole under the boulder. A deafening rattle pierced the quiet, and I grabbed for the disappearing tail. With two-thirds of the snake down the hole, I repositioned myself to be mostly protected when the snake's head reappeared. A big snake is a solid muscle, and it took me a couple of minutes to inch out the remaining third of the snake's body. Then all at once the whole snake came free, and I swung my arm up and away and flung the snake 15 feet into the tall open grass. The injured snake began racing away as soon as it hit the ground, but the parting grass and the incessant rattle gave away its location. As I caught up with it, it coiled and turned to strike. My club was ready and crashed down on it repeatedly, 10, 20 times until the rattling ceased 
and the snake stopped moving. I probed it with my stick a number of times to check it for life. Detecting none, I put the sole of my boot on its tattered head, removed my belt knife, and separated its head from its body. Feeling victorious, I slung my prize over my shoulder and headed back to the cave, where I enjoyed some of the best meat I've had in a long time. April 26th. After my morning tea and leftover rattlesnake, I took my fishing rod to the creek, hoping to add some fish to my menu and larder. Skirting the cabin flat, I could see no sign of any recent human visitation, although numerous dog tracks, coyote maybe, were visible on the trail to and from. The fishing was incredible. I fished upstream for about two miles, keeping just one large trout from each hole, about 20 fish total. And I also caught and kept a single 18-inch steelhead. I gutted them into the creek and filleted them on a flat rock, then packed them back to the cave. Stashing them temporarily in the cool rear section of the cave, I then gathered sticks to construct a crude drying rack. I gathered some downed hardwood for making coals and cut lots of green wood to keep a smoldering fire. As the drying firewood creates excess smoke, I waited for dark to start my fire. Once it was fully dark, I hung my blanket at the front of the cave, got the coals going, and added the green wood, then filled the drying rack with fish strips to begin the slow process of creating trout jerky. At the same time, I cooked one of the big steelhead fillets on the fire for my dinner. April 27th. Woke on and off throughout the night to add more green wood to the fire. By daylight, the fish strips were not yet dried, but I was worried about the smoke, so I doused the fire and figured I'd continue smoking it tonight. Unfortunately, the bear had other ideas. I left the cave mid-morning to gather clover and other edibles. Upon my return, I could hear clamoring in the cave, and approaching, nearly ran into a large bear hungrily slurping fish treats off my flattened drying rack. Picking up a large rock, I hit the bear squarely in the rump while shouting. Fortunately for me, the bear was shocked and frightened by my display, spun on his heels, and beat it downhill, plowing through the thick brush. I'm glad he didn't turn on me, as I was ill-equipped to defend myself if he had. So much for my trout jerky. April 28th. I awoke to the sound of coyotes across the canyon. Shortly afterwards, a turkey gobbled in the distance. After a breakfast of the remaining rattlesnake rolled in grape leaves with clover, I decided to try to get a turkey with my bow. Spring is the time of year that tom turkeys can be drawn into a call imitating a hen turkey. The turkey gobbled about every 10 minutes, making it easy for me to get close to its location. Although I could not see the turkey, I could tell by the last gobble that I was perhaps 80 yards away on the opposite side of a patch of thick brush. Backing into a dense patch of Ceanothus, I gave a few soft clucks and yelps and waited. After about three minutes, a bright red head appeared from behind a rise. Soon the turkey's whole body was visible. Feathers puffed and tails spread. Waiting until the tom's pirouetting display had him turned 180 degrees away from me, I aimed right at the base of his fanned tail feathers. The arrow found its mark and skewered the turkey from aft to fore, piercing his heart in the process. Placing the dead bird on my knees, I sat in the shade of the blue oaks and began skinning. In the distance, I heard a familiar but out-of-place sound. 
the barking of dogs. Within moments, I realized that they were getting closer, fast. It didn't sound like the happy to see you barks. It sounded like snarling, angry barks. Jumping up, I scanned my surroundings for an escape and chose a blue oak with a low crotch. Holding the turkey, I ran for the tree as the three dogs entered the clearing. I had just gotten into the tree when they leapt at me, snapping their teeth. Seeing they couldn't reach me, they turned to investigate my scent and came upon the fresh turkey skin. It was then that I realized that I had left my bow and arrows leaning against another tree, and I had foolishly left my pistol at the cave. I watched as the smaller of the three, a corgi-like mutt, licked my bloody handprints off of the stock of the bow. Having eaten all of the available food, they again turned to me and spent a good portion of the day harassing me. Fortunately, I had food and water in my day pack and snacked while I waited for them to tire. They didn't. They laid at the base of the tree to wait me out. I got as comfortable as I could on a mostly horizontal limb and used my belt to secure myself, actually trying to nap. I dozed off and then awoke to the sound of the dogs stirring as they began to wander off. Once out of sight, I crept down out of the tree and gathered my bow and arrows. Suddenly, they were back racing at me. It was all I could do to heft myself into the nearest tree with my bow hung around my neck and my arrows gripped between my teeth. Once securely seated, I turned to take my revenge. As the largest dog, a tan shepherd mix, stood with front paws leaning on the trunk, I released an arrow into his face from three feet away. The arrow caught him in the side of the mouth, then through his throat and into his spine, dropping him immediately. The other dogs stopped their incessant barking to investigate, and I was able to knock another arrow and fire straight down through the ribs and lungs of the second dog, a spotted pit bull mix. The corgi mix, smaller and perhaps smarter than the other two, realized the danger and took off running before I could get another shot off. That's the end of episode three. There's lots more to go, with twists and turns and many good and bad characters to meet. If you're enjoying the story, I hope that you'll continue to listen and share the link with as many of your friends as you can. Thank you. Until next time.